You're listening to the Bonham Petit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. This week, we have on Test Kitchen Manager, Gabby Melian, who has developed not one, but three empanada recipes for bonappetit.com. Uh, today, she brought in her ground beef version for me to try as we talked. And after that, my assistant, Ryan Walker, and food editor at large, Carla Lolly Music, are back with yet another edition of The Feedback, wherein we respond to reader letters, comments, and DMs. And last, but certainly not least, we've got Alex Beggs with Cook, Mary Kill. All right, here is Gabby. Gabby, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm super uh, excited. I'm, you know what I am? I'm super hungry. I can tell. <laughs> I've never been so hungry for a podcast. I'm looking at these like glistening, crispy, golden brown empanadas in the middle of the table, and like, I can I get one? Yeah, of course. All right. There are different ones. I can tell you. I a couple of these have um, a little bit of sugar, like my grandmother used to put. My grandmother used hmm. to like. I don't know. She did it for us, so it gives it an extra layer of sweetness. And then I did a couple of a couple of people helped me do the repulgue. That's the way you crimp it um, to show the differences. Sometimes they do that depending on the filling. You know, when you go to the stores, they have different ways of closing them, so you know if it's chicken or if it's beef or if it's cheese or whatever. I should be eating one too. I'm going for it. I'm eating one, but now I'm talking about my mouthful. It's all right. That's what I told everyone. Adam wants to chew on the microphone. I know, and then we're going to get angry <laughs> commenters. No, 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 no. I mean, come on, everyone does it. Okay, you've done two videos for us. With empanadas. One with Brad Leone. Was that your first video ever? That one was my first time in front of the camera being part of the video. Yes, with what, Brad. What was that like? I was like, very nervous. You didn't seem nervous, though. No, I know, but I thought I was going to lose my voice because um, when I get emotional, I lose my voice. And, you know, the, the high difference, and I was just trying to talk. And... Let, let's talk about that. So Brad is, I'm going to say, six foot four. Mm-hmm. Gabby is what? Five. Sure, are you sure that's a five? I say five one, <laughs> and actually my passport says five two. What are you, what are you barefoot? Five. Five, okay. Five. Yeah. All right. But I'm shrinking. I'm getting but, old that I'm shrinking. <laughs> we all are, Gabby. But Brad does that thing where he kind of like spreads his legs out and he kind of gets low on the yeah, counter. I love it. Yeah. Because, you know, it can be the same high that way. Was he, Did the video, was it easier than you thought it would be in terms of doing it or? It was fun. I was, you know, it's hard to follow him and you never know what to expect with him. But it was fun. And I feel like I, I was able to talk about the empanadas and people are super excited in Argentina that I actually was representing. So I think it went well. Did you get comments from people in Argentina? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, from I had um, from South America in general, all over, especially from Argentina. Some of them were like, oh, well, in my town, we don't make them like this because inside Argentina, we have different types of empanadas. We have like the ones from the north, the ones from the south, um, the center, that's where I'm from, Buenos Aires. So these are called porteñas, because if you are born in Buenos Aires, you are a porteño from the port of Buenos Aires. So, you know, we are very opinionated people. <laughs> you? No way. No. But Argentinians in general, we are like, you know, I do it this way, I do it that way. Some people discuss if you need like raisins or not and some people say oh disgusting it has olives but for me a porteña has 
You're going for the second one, people. Oh, yeah. Yay, Adam Rappaport <laughs> well, is having the second one. These are little empanadas. I make them kind of a small. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with the ones on the plate now, which is the first video of you and Brad from his It's Alive series. Yeah. This is a ground beef empanada. Ground beef, typical porteña. You have raisins in there? Raisins. Do these ones have raisins in them? These have raisins, okay. olives, green olives. olives, the ground beef, of obviously, red peppers, onions, and then you have oregano, cumin, salt, pepper, a tiny bit of sugar, a little bit of paprika for color. That's what it makes all that juiciness. And then I put a hint of cayenne pepper for heat. Because I hear people tend to like heat a little more. We're not really into hot food, spicy. spicy. I think it's nice to have a little bit, especially mm -hmm. if you have a little sugar just to balance it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in that first video, the f what I noticed right away was... You made me feel okay about not making my own dough. Oh, no, totally. I mean, empanadas are probably eaten, let's say, in Buenos Aires, in a typical family, probably, mm, I don't want to say once a week, maybe every other week, but it's something that you get together with friends and you either order out. We have great places that sell empanadas and they deliver. There are some places that they do only empanadas and they have any flavor in the world that you can imagine. And then there are other places that have pizza and empanadas. So you either order or you make your own. So people are like known within their friends for their feeling, but you will not find anybody that is going to make baked empanadas making their own dough because it's such a long process and it's not even worth it. By 20 minutes later, everybody ate them. So we have really good store-bought uh, dough that it comes already pre-packed, and we use that. I mean, if someone tells you they're making their own dough, they're lying. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, I think there's like this, like this impression, like in Italy, for instance, and there's a ton of Italians in, in Argentina, that everyone makes their own pasta from scratch every night, and no. that's just not the case. No, 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 no. We have also good, really good pasta places that you go and buy fresh pasta by the kilo. Um, although we do, and my brother is, makes the best, pizza. Pizza people make at home on okay. Saturday nights. Okay. Yeah, the guys make pizza at home, Friday night, Saturday night, it's very common. You go to someone's house and they make, you know, their own pizza, their own recipe of the best pizza. <laughs> All right, so I want to make empanadas at home. Mm -hmm. What sort of dough should I buy? What should I be using if I'm not making my own? This one is uh, Goya. And it's, it's what? Goya. Goya, okay. Mm -hmm. And it's like you can buy it in any supermarket, basically. Actually, when, when I published my recipe, in February of 2017, one of the things that Rick Martinez was helping me with was to fact check, you know, like find out if you can really find this dough everywhere. And it is. It's really easy, available. You can even order it on Amazon. What sort of dough is it? Is it it's called empanada, or, and it says in English, turnovers. Uh, I'm, dough. Going, I'm going for number three. I know, I see that. <laughs> You're watching? Oh my God. I told you I was I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Any Spanish local market, if you live in a neighborhood that there is some sort of Latino community, I'm sure they have it. Goya, though, um, they have different ones. They have some for frying, and they have um, Colombian dough that is completely different because it's made with a, like sort of like cornmeal. Oh, okay, sure. So it's a completely different dough because those are for frying. So this one is actually, it says, uh, for empanadas, for baking, and it's, it comes from Uruguay. Actually, it comes oh. the, the dough comes from Uruguay and Goya packages here in New Jersey. 
near my house. <laughs> All right, so. But if you don't have these, you can use any puff pastry and cut it in, you know, like in circles, rounds, and that's it because it's very similar to puff pastry. So for this one, for the filling, you were browning the, go- the ground beef. Mm-hmm. Seasoning it, mm-hmm. and then you took out the ground beef from the pot, and then you put the onions and the peppers. That's one way of doing it. I think when we published the recipe, we did first the onions and then we moved them out. You can either 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 way. For me, it's faster to do the onions in one pot and the meat in another. The reason why I do it that way because I used to make. 300, 400 empanadas every weekend when I was selling them. Okay, we're going to get to that. <laughs> um, first, let's get to this recipe. So you, you have the ground beef, the onions, the red peppers, the seasoning. Cumin. And then, cumin, cumin is your key. Yep, you can ingredient. taste that. And it then, releases all this juice and makes it sweat. And that's the flavor you're going for. You cut out rounds with like a pastry cutter or no? These come already round. Oh, they come already round. They come already Those round. smart people you don't need Goya. You cut anything. And they come with this little plastic in between so they don't get stuck one with the other. See, that's what I noticed. I noticed when you, you took the filling, but first of all, you want to cool the filling, right? Cool the filling. You can even freeze the filling. My mother used to freeze the filling in portions. And then it's much better because when you're baking it, it releases all that water, all that juice, and they're even better yeah so you were using like a little like ice cream scoop or something yeah because i like to measure you know i don't want to i want every empanada to have the same amount i'm also go so far of not putting the olives until the end so i water like on a line like in a restaurant oh yeah so <laughs> as i continue to eat more we're gonna get so many angry letters but no 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 yes 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 so anyways yeah. you You've got your filling with the raisins, the onions, this and that, but that you kept the olives separate, the green the olives minute, that you yeah. break in half. Yeah. And then I make sure every empanada has, that's dedication, sorry, people, <laughs> I'm saying it myself. I make sure that everybody gets two halves of olive. Because the worst part will be like if you tell someone, oh, I'm putting olives in my empanada, and then they bite on it, and it is none. So when your filling is done, you can actually don't see anymore where the mm-hmm. olives went, you know? So I just carefully put two halves of uh, olive in each empanada before I close them. <laughs> so you fold them over with the, this little brown plastic, plastic yeah, wrap just on to the help outside. Me. Yeah, just to help me. And then you, you pinch them shut, and mm-hmm. then the big question between you and Brad on the video of It's Alive <laughs> was do you crimp them with the fork or right. do you do the fancy thing that you do? Right, well... Crimping it with the fork makes them look bigger. So here's the secret, people. When I was selling them, I was using the fork, not only because it was faster and I could get somebody to help me. That was my mother. And they look bigger, so you can charge a little. Oh, so they, all right. People don't don't like when it's too crimp. They feel like they're eating a lot of dough. I yep. love it personally. What's the word again? Uh, cr- uh, repulgue. Repulgue. Ge, ge, ge. Repulgue. How are we spelling that? R e p u l g e. Repulgue. Oh, repulgue. You got it. So you, so it's like you're. It's almost like it looks like a little rope. You're sort of twisting it onto mm-hmm. itself. So you have that yes. nice, that nice braided exterior, yeah. which I think is super pretty. Yeah, I know, and I can do it really quick. And the story goes like this. Apparently, when I was eight. I don't remember much, but... I'm going to have a fourth empanada now. Oh, my now. God. You These are so small. I know. They're tiny. They're tiny people. He's not eating, no, overeating. Um, when I was eight, my grandmother, who could never actually crimp really pretty, she used to do the fork because it was faster. You know, you're making three, four of those empanadas. She asked me to help her because I was always in the kitchen with her. And apparently, I started 
you know, I started twisting the empanada, crimping like that, doing the repulgue, and she almost cried because I was doing it the exact same way her mother did, that she could never learn it well. And I met my great-grandmother when I was one, and then she died, so I, she could not possibly taught me that. So I guess it was in my genes. Yeah. <laughs> um, crimp them up. In the oven? Yes. Like, how Depending hot, on, hot I put it like 350, 375. I mean, you got to know your oven. Do you do an egg wash on the I did the egg wash for this one because they look prettier, but mm, you don't have, you don't have to. to. Yeah. So, I love these because you got the onion, you got the ground beef, but I love that touch of sweetness. Mm-hmm. But then it's balanced with the brininess of the olives. You have yeah. the, the little bit of heat, but then that's balanced with the, the, the fruitiness of the raisins. Right. And you that's can just, just kind of empanada. <laughs> Do people ever dip empanadas in anything? Okay. We don't, but here we do. <laughs> so when I started selling empanadas, people will ask me for a sauce or for something to dip or to pour on. Because Americans love dip. I know. Like they, ranch dressing. Can I get a right, side of ranch with that? Right. So my mother, who was my, my best assistant ever, got really upset. She was like, why are they asking you to make something else? And I was like, mom, I can sell one more thing. And she's like, you're right. So we started selling chimichurri with it and people went nuts. They will pour a little bit of chimichurri. I know in Colombia, for example, they put a little sauce. Some other countries they do, but in Argentina, typically, you will not put anything on the empanada because, you know, they already have all the flavors inside. All right, so what's up with this empanada business you and your mom had? I had, well, it was mine. She was my assistant, so. <laughs> wow, mom, get served. But I pay her. I mean, no, come on. She was the best. So a few years back, I created a company called Gabby's Kitchen, and my goal was to have, like, a nomad cooking school and bring free culinary classes for kids in pri- private and you know public schools and that was my idea because I was a food revolution ambassador with Jamie Oliver so you know I wanted to teach every child in the world how to cook it was fun but I wasn't making any money yeah. <laughs> so so I was working as a chef assistant doing a lot of things where were you living in Jersey City okay. always I've been 23 years in Jersey City yeah you know Somebody ordered empanadas from me, and I was like, you know what? This can be a business. I went and I paid a very expensive vendor's license. It costs like $400, $500 a year. And I have to rent a kitchen. I have to, I mean, I was, have like a company, and, you know, like every everything was super legal. And I started selling empanadas. It was mostly to order, but I did a couple of things on the street, fairs, you know, parties so I cook out of a kitchen in the back of a church that it was licensed to have people cooking there and and I did that for a couple of years and it was it was pretty well what was your biggest order ever oh gosh I don't remember maybe like 300 400 Mm -hmm. for one person for a party yeah 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 I mean like one point I have an extra freezer and I have them because also you can like fill them up crimping them and then you can freeze them and then just bake them from frozen. I know I have a good friend of mine uh, who owns a company here in New York City called Nuchas and he sends them to people's homes frozen. And I think they're slightly pre-baked so it takes a lot less time to put it in the oven, like I think 10 minutes. Yeah. They're ready. You know, there's so many people selling empanadas. <laughs> but your next video, you're like, I don't need no Brad Leone. <laughs> I'm going to do my own empanadas video. 
this one, this oh man, I was really hungry watching this one. Ham, Ham cheese. cheese, and onions. Yeah. Now, is this like a classic Argentinian? Ham and cheese is classic. For me, adding the onions was a little bit of a homage to like the pizza that we like. We love fugas and fugaceta, that is onions with cheese. And then if you want to go the extra mile, you throw the ham in there. And I love them. I mean, you need the sweetness of the onions. And also because of the first video and so many people saying, oh, why are you making them bake? We like them fry. And that's another thing. Oh, wait, we're going to get to that. People well, don't fry I want to yeah. get to that. But first of all, so, so, you, so you caramelize the onions first. And I put some oregano in it. Oregano, that's a key ingredient. Get them nice and sweet and caramelly. Yes, I need that oregano on that. It's very... I have dreams with that flavor. Mm. I love it. Onions with oregano. I love it. And then the cheese, that it has to be a mozzarella, but not so soft that it will disappear. Yeah, you said that you want like the block of low mm-hmm. low moisture blocks. Yeah, you don't yeah. want the fancy no, fresh stuff. No, 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 because that will disappear. That will Too melt. watery. Yeah. And I roll it in cornstarch or a little bit of flour, so that will keep it like together inside the oven. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. after you, you cut it into cubes mm-hmm. and then you dusted it. Yeah. 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 And, and then, then ham. ham. Ham has to be like a cheap ham. You don't want like, I mean, if you want to spend money on prosciutto, by all means. No, no, no. You, no, listen. You, you said win, you, like, no, you no, need you, cheap ham. No, you said that in the video. No one, you don't want prosciutto because prosciutto would be too chewy. You would get salty. stuck in your teeth yes. and too salty. Yeah, but I mean, that, that better ham. But this, yeah, it's just yeah. a, a good cooked ham. Yeah. Like if it, yeah. if it was Italian, it'd be prosciutto cotto. Prosciutto like cotto. Yeah, the cooked yeah. cook stuff. Yeah. Like if you're making a ham and cheese sandwich, yeah. you want yeah. that ham. And that you just chop that up. Yep. And I also liked in this one, you had the ham and the onions, which you mixed together. and You kind of scoop that, put it in the, the round, and then you personally like take two or so cubes of cheese. So you have the exact right amount. The, I, got, I mean, when you work in a line in a restaurant, you understand where, where I'm coming from. I'm coming from selling them. So when you sell something, you want to be consistent with the amount. Of oh, st- like in terms of like what are your food costs? Right, and like- right. So you want to be consistent in the amount of stuff you have. Also, you don't want to... Like I said, you are at a party, somebody bites into it, and it's like, oh, I got no cheese. You know? Yeah, so or, you, oh, I got a cheese and ham empanada. I wanted a ham and cheese right, empanada. Right, right. Totally. I can imagine some people going like that. So you want to make sure that you get the same amount for everyone. You know, you, you count your cost. You make everyone happy. And, you know, I mean, I'm a little bit of a control freak. I yeah. have to make sure that everyone looks the same. So, in, so. in this video, you made your own dough. Mm-hmm. Was that just to prove to the doubters that you could make your own dough if you wanted to? Correct. Because <laughs> people, the comment section can be brutal. I mean, oh, my goodness. I know they love them some Gabby on the Bonapetite YouTube channel. But in general, people, especially, especially with any time you do any dish that can be perceived as a quote-unquote authentic dish mm-hmm, mm-hmm. everyone's gonna let you know of course they all have their but, opinion yes and i love it but the thing is are these people that are, are they are they cooking are you cooking at home i mean like no they just want to tell you that yeah, you're doing it wrong exactly like i have i mean i live like that i if you don't have something nice to say don't say anything that's my you know like i i go by that rule but eh, some people want to talk okay so, yeah, no, I also wanted to show that you can make them fry at home. I know a bunch of people and staff had lived in Buenos Aires at one point or another, and they always told me, oh, I like fried empanadas. And, like, 
you don't really fry at home because you don't want to make all that mess. You do it like on a special occasion. Yeah, we you know we've done articles like in Bon Appetit and stuff for frito misto and you know like other deep fried sort of things. And it's not that it's hard to do, but if you don't have a really powerful hood right. over your stove, so which is ninety percent of most New York City kitchens don't, right. then you're opening the windows. You got a fan on. Your apartment still smells Alarm like oil. Going yeah, on. a week later. Yeah, and then you're also what I do with all this oil that yeah. I just deep fried right. in. Right. Fortunately, we work in a fancy industrial kitchen here. So they pick it up for us. Um, yes. but it does it. I mean, it kind of tastes better. It right? tastes better. It's so worth it. I will say do it for a special occasion, you know, like a birthday party or you want to celebrate something. But going back to in Buenos Aires, people will do it, but also like in a special occasion. In the north of Argentina, I will say people fry more often. But I'm saying people that have larger kitchens with windows and, you know, they don't have all the problems we have here in Buenos Aires and in New York. The apartments are so tiny, you can't do it. But, I mean, if you have the patience for it, go for it. Carla was saying in our New Year's Eve podcast that she likes to do, she's throwing a fancy party. She'll do like a moment where she is frying like maitake mushrooms, ducked it, as if she's like Jamie Oliver or someone, like having yeah. this moment, like this performance moment people where people watching. gather yeah. around and she's yeah, yeah, got yeah. the spider things and she's pulling it out and doing this and that, which is kind of cool. Well, she has the kitchen for it because yeah. she has a kitchen with a window. Got to be open and stuff. But yeah, it's nice. That's the thing with deep frying. that You can't walk away from it. You're, right. you're on duty. Mm-hmm. So deep fried ham and cheese, delicious. You gotta eat them right away. Right. Oh, that yeah. You want them nice and crispy. Yeah, you wanna eat them right away. So then, it's you know the person who's frying, <laughs> it's like frying and frying, and every time you put a plate out, comes back empty, and you keep, you know, like. It's like if you've ever had a Hanukkah latke party. If exactly. You're, if you're on latke duty, you're on latke. You got duty. it. That's it. Or pancakes on a Sunday. Pancakes. Or, yeah. Or eggs to order. It's, lo- it's a lonely job. Being <laughs> yes, cook. of course. These were delicious. Thank you for the empanadas. I think four is my limit. Okay. I'm gonna Good. S- I'm going to say enough. Enough. Uh, But those were delicious. Thanks so much, Gabby. No, thank you for having me. Carl Music, welcome back to The Feedback. Always happy to be here. And we got Ryan Walker on the mic, as always, reading our letters and emails and DMs and all those other great things we get from our fans and readers and listeners. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that funny. (laughs) Yes, I'm here. I'm excited. Let's do this. All right, what do you got, Ryan? Alrighty, so first up, we have a comment from our lovely inbox. I just listened to the podcast. I'm already dangerously close to canceling my subscription because the font is too small to read, but if you go through with having 30% less recipes with me, I will 100% not renew my subscription. Can I ask a question? Because there's such a an intense segue in the way that the comment is set up, because it's like, it's a it's a font size problem, <laughs> but then I will just want to know if he goes through with the canceling of the subscription, will he continue to listen, listen. to the podcast? I hope so. Yeah, yeah, because we need the podcast listeners actually more than we need the 1.5 million subscribers. So um, you could stay digital and enlarge your font and keep listening. Yeah. Okay, so obviously two issues here. The first is the 30% less meat, which is somewhat factually incorrect, but that uh, he's referring to the podcast that Chris Morocco and I did about this new test kitchen mandate about how we're going to run a more efficient, environmentally sensitive test kitchen moving forward. But before we get to that, I I do want to side with the complaint about small font size or type size, actually. Font is like what the lettering looks like. Type size is what the size is. For whatever reason, 
designers from Alex Grossman to Michelle Outland to Chris Cristiano, they love tiny type. You gotta fit it all on the page. But they you don't, don't love tiny type. They love the absence of type. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> they want to make the words as small as possible. So there's more. Also, uh, I don't know. I, listen, I'm a pretty design-minded editor, but it's like, did you read the words? Because if you want people to read the words, you have to make them uh, big enough that people Legible. can actually read them. They, they don't want them to read the words. They're no. like, uh, remember when I pitched the no word issue at yes, one of our retreats I, do. No, I actually like that can you, no, you yeah pitch just again? like in all it was it was at one of our retreats like pitch anything like yeah. pies in the pies the sky I do or remember whatever that. it was an ideas um, meeting yeah and it was like why don't we just do a whole issue without words could you have symbols <laughs> sure but like small, <laughs> yeah, small. <laughs> so anyways though god bless our design team i love those guys but yeah every even go back to my years at gq it's, it's just the type has always been tiny and that's just an ongoing battle between editors and designers so we hear you and we feel you now Getting to um, the line in our sort of uh, sustainability statement that is online uh, that you can see on bonapete.com about how the test kitchen will be running a little differently moving forward. What we said was from here on out, 30% of the recipes we develop will be meatless. Correct. And I guess, Carlo, to put that into context, how does that skew compared to how we had been running things? And what, what's your take on, on that I approach? I think that what that in the end, at the end of the day, what that going to mean is that twice as many recipes will be plant-based. I think probably currently we run maybe, you know, out of every hundred recipes, 10 of them are meat-free. So yeah, Chris said maybe 10 to 15 percent. Yeah, 10 to 15 percent. And so that is, to be clear, that is that is not counting, but that's not counting desserts. Correct. Yeah, dessert <laughs> recipes are in their own category. We're not talking chocolate-covered bacon. Right. <laughs> Uh, and and we're we're excluding dessert from that to give us like a truer you know percentage because it wouldn't be fair to include like dessert recipes which are by nature going to probably be vegetarian. So what I think that means is that yeah you'll still be able to go to bonappetit.com and pull up a steak, chicken, pork, meat, you know, shrimp, fish recipe that we've published over the last many many decades. It just means that going forward we are not going to develop as many new recipes with animals. Yeah. And I think, listen, 30% in the big scheme of things, that still means 70% Correct. of the recipes have, can have yes, meat. Right. Which I still think we could probably chip away at that, but still that's plenty of meaty recipes <laughs> to, to choose around. from. I think if already if you look at the sites, I'm just looking at Healthiest right now, which is one of the Bon Appetit verticals, you know, roasted fall vegetables with herb salad or a chetti with spinach and rosemary fried chickpeas. Yet just the other day, Andy Bergani was testing this delicious uh, pasta fagioli sort of recipe with um, canned chickpeas that is cooked in a tomato broth with pasta and like the, some of the chickpeas are pureed and there's Parmesan cheese and olive oil. And it's like the most Delicious. indulgent, exactly, homey comfort food. Yeah. When you're eating things like that, you're not like, oh, this is healthy or this doesn't have meat in it. You're like, no, this is delicious. Yeah. I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> I know, exactly. Like the notion when you're, when one of us is eating mac and cheese, you're not like, oh. I wish this had bacon in yeah. it. Yeah. Right. But some people are like, some people like bacon in their mac. That and drives cheese. me crazy, yeah. actually. That whole like restaurant trend from 10 years ago when they're like, I don't want foie gras in my mac and cheese. I don't want lobster in my mac and cheese. I just want mac and cheese. <laughs> I hear that. Also, what's actually interesting, I don't know if you knew this, Carla. Uh, maybe I'm announcing news here, but uh, over at Epicurious, um, which is our sister brand here at Condé Nast, moving forward, they will not be developing any recipes 
using beef. I know. Yeah. I, I had been talking to David about this for a few months before it went into effect. And, you know, similarly, I think what it means is like right now in this moment, we want to consume less of that product. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that they're going to strip away every steak recipe that was ever published on Epi. So you kind of have the benefit of, you know, still providing content for people who are looking for it, but making a choice in this day and age, like, you know, just for us to buy less and and use less and, and develop fewer recipes is very impactful. We cook through most recipes three or four times before we publish them. So you know, it's, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah. And I would say what it just to put Epi, um, just to give some insight into how Epi is run, um, they develop their own recipes, but they also carry every Bon Appetit recipe that's ever been published. Right. So you can still go on to Epi. You're going to get every steak recipe. And every, gourmet. Yeah. And gourmet, every spray short rib recipe you want. So like I said, I, I don't see these sort of changes as being drastic or abstaining from something. It's more like let's evolve and let's sort of get a little bit more in step with how people are eating these days and compared to how they might have done 20 years ago. Yeah. All right, Rye. Next letter. I have a suggestion that's been on my mind for some time. A great way to be more sustainable is to steer customers away from buying BA product recommendations on Amazon. It's well known as a company that doesn't put its money where its mouth is when it comes to sustainability. Right after finding this email in my inbox, I saw that BA's Instagram story was featuring the 2019 Top Test Kitchen Accessories article, which includes 21 products, all of which were were linked on Amazon. I've frequently seen suggestions to find products on Amazon featured in the magazine as well. So many of these products, most of them, can be bought directly from the makers, some of which are smaller, lesser known companies that deserve the benefits of the exposure BA can give them. This is a tough one. I okay. don't disagree. Okay. I know I've struggled with this too. Yeah, I think we all struggle. A great, great letter. Thank you very much. So, Bon Appetit, along with nearly every media brand these days, from the strategists on down, recommends products editorially, but anything that is bought of stuff that rec- is recommended, the brand, be it Bon Appetit or whomever, gets a percentage of sales. So, in, and if you look at any Bon Appetit um, article, that is endorsing a product, it'll say at the top or the bottom, all products featured on bonappetit.com are independently selected by their editors. However, when you buy something through our retail links, we may earn an affiliate commission. Yeah. So. So that means that it's not like a placed thing and it's not really an advertisement. These are things that we use, we love, we would recommend regardless. You know, affiliate revenue is one way editorial brands are sort of shoring up their P&L in these days of shrinking advertising. Right. So, so you're making far less money through banner ads and stuff on site. Well, how do you make up for that? All right, well, we're going to sell some products. Then the question is, well, who do you link to? Right. And I think we can all relate to, I think all of us have bemoaned and sort of badmouthed Amazon as this corporate giant who's putting small businesses out of business. I personally don't have an Amazon account. Good for you. I've never ordered anything on Amazon. I believe in giving the little guys much more of a chance. That's how I like to shop. However, and I think I'm like a lot of people, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because my wife has an Amazon Prime thing (laughs) and Lord knows she's bought stuff for the family on Amazon. Right. So I'm like, okay, on one hand, I don't want to support it. On the other hand, I do. 
Oh, and Whole Foods, which is a whole other thing, because Amazon owns Whole Foods, which we constantly endorse. Yes. So, and Carl, where do you fall in the Amazon relationship personally? Similar um, household organization. I have an Amazon account and I've had one for a long time. And uh, my husband does not, but he uses my login. And that's how I find out that, like, he bought blackout shades and you know, plungers and I get the email. <laughs> I'm like, what, oh, what, did we what buy? Are, what, kind of, what kind of operation are you running over there, Carla? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have tried to order less often from Amazon. And this Christmas, we actually made a, uh, I was, I initiated like, let's not buy any Christmas presents on Amazon. Like when mm. the kids were little, I mean, 100% just yeah. leaned into we that. Got, we got something the other day. I forget what it was. A box showed up, a box the size of like a shoe box. Open it up. There's those inflatable pillows in there. It's the and worst. Th- whatever the object was, I forget what it was, was like the size of like a bottle of aspirin. I'm right. like, <sighs> you're like, oh, God. I know. So, but I think in the other part of this is like what there have been some articles about in cities like New York, how much the truck traffic mm-hmm. is changing the way that our city like runs. Um, yeah. And and it's massive because there's like same day delivery and like- Well, I know. see that now with like, you can get your groceries for free in two hours. I'm like, how that is that feels, possible? Yeah, Wrong. it's a lot. Right? <laughs> I mean, and Target does that too. Their same day delivery where they just like, you know, basically are just dispatching somebody as soon as your thing is put together, it's a tough. lot of the system. Anything that we want as consumers for super cheap and fast means probably someone's getting underpaid, yes. and the the environment's not well treated. It's I mean, it's a problem. So people say they want other options, yeah, and yet what people end up doing is on their own volition end up clicking to Amazon because I think they have a relationship with Amazon. They know it's going to come. They know it's going to come quickly. They have an account already. Yeah, they have an account they're... and there's an ease of And while they're there, they might pick up some you it's know, probiotics. It's or a plunger. <laughs> you just never know. <laughs> so I think that's, but that's just the, I think the world we're in now with like everything from Uber to this or that to like cheap clothes at Uniqlo. It's like we want it fast and easy and affordable, but you have to think of the repercussions of that also. I and think I don't the workaround, so... So it's beneficial for us at Bon Appetit because we need to find these additional like alternate revenue streams, right? So that's why we have a relationship with this company that is sharing in some percentage of our the shopping cart mm. that you go build when you see the Y peeler that we recommend. I love a Y peeler. If well, you don't, if I you just don't bought peel, a few the if, other day. If you don't peel your vegetables with Y peelers, go to bonappetit.com. Actually, go to Google and search bonappetit.com Y peeler because if you go to bonappetit.com and search. You'll never find anything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. If any tech people have gotten asked or listed, please A fix drag. that. I was going to say, you can also trust the advice that we're giving is actually about that product. And if you don't want to buy from Amazon, just look at the product mm-hmm. description and buy it wherever you yeah. want. Absolutely. And I will say this. So, so Ella Hay brought the point, like, yes, a lot of Amazon on there. We do link to other sites whether it's Cruze or you know Williams Sonoma, et cetera, depending on what the product is, she was also saying uh, other Condé Nast brands have started to give you an option. Mm. They'll give you Amazon plus a link to either another store or to the mm. maker who does it directly. Mm. Uh, the, the challenge is sometimes we have relationships, or sometimes we don't have affiliate relationships with those brands, which yeah. we then have to initiate and jump through hoops and stuff. Um, but I think it's a great letter. It's an interesting point, And I, I think it's something we all sort of deal with on a daily basis in terms of how we consume. But now you know why we have that Amazon link. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Rye. What else we got? 
Alrighty, so on the subject of marijuana, which is a topic that we continue to cover here at Bon Appetit, um, we have a few a few letters to Adam. I've, I've chosen one. And, and this was from our February healthiest issue, which we had a spread about sort of how to shop a dispensary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without yeah. freaking out, I think Without the headline freaking was. Out. Yes. Dear Without Miss- harshing your mellow. <laughs> Right, right. You're really, you're real easy. You're an easy customer. All right, dear Mr. Rappaport, I'm very disappointed that Bon Appetit chose to run an article about marijuana edibles. Shop for weed without freaking out in our February 2020 issue. Marijuana possession, sale, use is a federal crime and a crime in many U.S. states. It is diff- is difficult to guide my preteen children in making thoughtful decisions about their own possible future marijuana use when mainstream publications treat this often illegal situation as though it is the norm. As you can easily guess, I have canceled my subscription and will no longer have Bon Appetit in my home. I wish you and the editorial staff would have yourself would have yourself made thoughtful decisions before running that article. Okay. Can well- I read your response? I'll, we'll just talk this out. And then, okay. I know you guys all have thoughts. I know you have thoughts, Ryan. Carla, I imagine you have thoughts. Because um, I think your response, your email response was Yeah, I'll, I'll just talk it out. All but right. thank you. But yeah, all right. So a couple of thoughts here. The first one, as a parent, like I have a 12-year-old. How, you're, what ages are you right now? Sweet 16 and yeah. 10. Yeah. And you yeah. live in New York City. So this is very relatable. I mean, I, I'm on walking on 21st Street at 8 a.m. seeing like 14-year-old kids walk into school smoking weed. Oh, yeah. 14? Yeah. Sure. And it's just like, dude, like, what are you doing? And it's like, so I get it. And like, you don't see 14-year-old kids like doing shots before school. But like kids will get some, and that's been going on for a long time. So it is like obviously a concern. And nowadays with vape pens and everything else, like it's easier than ever. So as a parent, I can totally relate to it. I guess my feeling is, a, we covered a dispensary in states where that's legal, California, right. Colorado, Oregon. And B, I think the a big issue here is that Bon Appetit is a magazine for adults. You know, our, our average reader is age 49, I think, et cetera, et cetera. We cover alcohol. We cover cocktails, wine. I don't know if there is that much of a difference between writing about an edible or a controlled sale of marijuana as there is writing about martinis and how to mix a perfect Manhattan. Mm-hmm, right. I don't know, Carl, what do you, as a, as a, as a grown woman, what do you think about in terms of no, from I, a recreational standpoint? Yeah, I think that, that, that is a really healthy distinction to make. I think that alcohol use is normalized because it's Celebrated. been around longer and is legal everywhere it wasn't that long ago that there was like prohibition but every one of us grew up in a household where the alcohol wasn't kept under lock and key and you knew as a child that like that was for grown-ups i think if your underage kid walks into a dispensary they're not going to be sold to either it's not like going into yeah, a bodega they, yeah, trying they, to get a they six can't pack. go in but you're right the reality is that um Many states now have passed recreational marijuana laws, and it's not a crime there. So if you live there or if you're curious about this trend, that article is going to kind of be of interest. Um, I don't think we advocated that anyone like should go check it out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that gets lost, but we're not saying you need to go get, get yourself some gummies. I think it's more like, hey, if you're curious about these 
these dispensaries, which frankly look like Apple stores these days, right. are so like beautiful with these little vitrines and beautiful lighting, and you're like, what's going on here? Right. And if you're curious about what our editor's take is on it, then like you know, that's a that's a fun read. There's also you know CBD in the seltzer. I mean, yeah, I think if anything, if it if it leads to a conversation between you and your kid about like, hey, did you see that dispensary article? Pretty crazy stuff, right? Like you know the rules. Or also, if you're, you listen, know, the reality is, if you live in LA, if you live in Portland, Oregon, and if you have a 16 year old son or daughter, they've gone by those dispensaries before. Right. They're curious about them. CBD is everywhere. Like this is something that's happening in the culture and the yeah, zeitgeist. Right. To yeah. ignore it, to suggest it's not happening, right? I think is incredibly naive. I think if we yeah. wrote an article that was like how to fake your ID so you can get into a recreational <laughs> dispensary, recreational. that would be crossing the line. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to mention is in in this letter, um, she says we are treating this often illegal situation as though it is the norm, like you were just talking about. The truth is it is already the norm in so many places. So to ignore that, we wouldn't be doing ourselves any favors. Right. And also, as a brand, it's not the first time we have covered this topic. In April 2019, Healthyish published a piece that acknowledges exactly that. We published an article written by Charlotte Palermino, and she said, for decades, the media, politicians, and our schools have spread misinformation about what cannabis is and what it does, including that weed is a gateway drug. It's not. That if you smoke weed, you'll go to jail. Those chances are pretty low if you're white. And that marijuana causes instant addiction. The research shows that while cannabis can be addictive, tobacco and alcohol are more deadly and addictive, relatively speaking, which is what Adam also spoke about in his in his email. And so I, as a brand and having this conversation, we're, we're joining a larger conversation and trying to combat that misinformation by putting smart, thoughtful, and researched useful information out there so that people can be informed about something that is, again, already incredibly prevalent. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And listen, there's a long history of marijuana being very criminalized way disproportionately in the black communities and the white communities. White kids smoke marijuana and they get in trouble. Black kids smoke marijuana and they end up in jail. Mm-hmm. And um, even even today with with the legalization of marijuana, black and brown folks who want to open dispensaries can't because mm-hmm. they are facing, you know, old charges for non nonviolent crimes and also are being having a harder time getting grants to start. Like there's all these other structural problems within the legalization too yeah. that makes it so complicated. And I like that we're talking about yeah, that. Yeah, I think yeah. I think and I think the conversation needs to happen, needs to be transparent and like it's something that is it's happening. And and you might disagree with the legalization of marijuana and that's fine. But the fact is, in these states, it's happening. The dispensaries are opening. Yeah, it's something you should be educated on, and you should be know what's going on. So, that is my thoughts on that. Uh, one more topic I want to discuss, not from the BA archives, but a piece that Pete Wells uh, recently wrote for the New York Times about noisy restaurants. Yes, it was a, it was a lengthy piece, uh, <laughs> but you know, a person of a diner of a certain age. Yeah, maybe we notice this more. I don't know. I was curious what your take on the piece was. It was long, but I got through it. And I don't know. I thought that there was there was a certain amount of nostalgia in Pete's take on the noisiness. Like by the end of the piece, you can tell like he loves going into a restaurant that feels lively and loud and music and conversation and that there's this moment when we're not 
kind of all sitting with our noise canceling headphones or walking down the street listening to a podcast and or being in your air conditioned car with the windows rolled up and like we're all kind of in our own little bubbles these days that to go into a loud and lively restaurant to him feels like connection. I understand that and like the right vibe in a restaurant when you do feel that is so fun. But I think I for me when someone says noisy restaurant, I'm thinking about like where you're literally screaming at the person at the other side of the table to be heard and to hear them and I find that kind of restaurant experience in like literally intolerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it is maybe that I maybe don't hear as well as I used to. I'm unaware of any, I've had a hearing test recently. Like I'm unaware of any like degradation in. You you might just be crankier (laughs) than you were 20 years ago. There's that, but I like, I get a certain kind of earache like from a really loud restaurant. It like hurts in like the TMJ part of my jaw and I just can't, I can't do it. It's, it takes the pleasure out of dining. I I think to Pete's point, like there is something about walking in a restaurant and in New York city, Balthazar is like the quintessential, quintessential example of a restaurant that just feels alive. It feels pulsating. You're just, you feel like I've stepped into this community and it's just, I'm, I'm feeding off of it. Um, but a restaurant like Balthazar also has really good acoustics right? and there's a hum and there's a vibrancy to it. That's different than a restaurant. And I've been to a lot of these where I, I feel the same as you, where they don't have good acoustics. There's no soundproofing on the ceiling or under the tables. The music is maybe only in two speakers, whereas it should probably have like eight speakers right. that are more evenly modulated. And it's like this cacophonous din. Yeah. But I think a lot of that comes down to it does cost a lot to get good acoustics in most spaces. Mm-hmm. And I talked about with Riyadh and Lee from Frenchette about this when they were on the pod uh, several months ago. Um, you know, They spent several million dollars to open Frenchette, which is a bistro down here in Tribeca, and they did not get around to soundproofing the place or sound, I don't know if it's called soundproofing, whatever, can properly sound sounding it. Um, and not until it was open for a while did they realize like, oh, this place is really loud. So loud. And like I'm and I love that restaurant, but they're gonna have to like shut it down for a couple of days, spend a lot of money, wow. and then all of a sudden you're dealing with that. And and I Pete also brings to the point, like, I'm guilty of this. Like I'm the person I'm the loud person at a restaurant. I've been <laughs> shushed at numerous examples. <laughs> One time I got got the bar and grill years ago, me and Mitchell <laughs> Davis. Someone shushed us and moved their table away from us. My buddy John von Soten and I in Paris were shushed at a Paris bistro. Amazing. And then one time we were, I think you were with us, we were at Ultra Paradiso for some some BA dinner. And we literally had to buy a bottle of wine for the table behind us. Just ruin their night. (laughs) Mostly me were being just way too loud. So I get it. Um, And Pete's point is that if one person's talking loud, then another person is another person, it escalates. I once saw the most amazing thing in a restaurant that I'll never forget. It was a couple. They were probably in their 50s. It was a kind of loud restaurant. And they were sitting across from each other at a two-top, having a perfectly nice time. And at a certain point, I noticed they were both, they both had their, iPhones no. up to no. their ears. And they were talking and to each that other. That is how they were talking to each other. <laughs> oh my because God. of the amazing noise canceling. <sighs> like it b- blocks all that stuff out. So that was, they were at a restaurant they loved, it with a vibe they loved, food they loved, and the way that they figured out how to hear each other. Stop. They were just on the phone the whole time. And I was like, wow. Another edition of the feedback. That was fun. It was always. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Carla. Thank you. And you can email us with any questions or comments at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Email us. 
Hi, this is Alex Beggs, and here's Cook, Mary Kill. Cook. For lunch this week, I've packed sweet potato bowls because I'm a glowing picture of health. I use Anna Stockwell's recipe as inspiration, which you can look up on BA.com. It's called Sweet Potato Bowls with Spice Lamb and Mushrooms. I roasted a handful of sweet potatoes before work this morning, and then I'll top them with whatever I've got hanging around, which is leftover Super Bowl fajita steak, the remnants of last week's batch of beans, or just butter and a ton of flaky salt. Or how about some Trader Joe's soy chorizo, which brings me to Mary. I want to marry Trader Joe's soy chorizo. I know I'm late to the game here and it's been around for a while, but I tried it for the first time when I ranked all the imitation meats at Trader Joe's for healthy-ish, and I really liked it. Imagine regular chorizo, but the beads of meat are finer and crumblier. Everything else is the same. Joe is heavy-handed with the spices here for once, and it covers up any hint that this is a flavorless soy product. It's so good with eggs and breakfast tacos. I actually plan on buying it again. Not so much those meatless meatballs, which were weirdly bready and could possibly be used to stuff couch cushions, you know, in a pinch. You can read about the rest in a story called All the Meat Substitutes at Trader Joe's Ranked. Kill! The whole Mr. Peanut dying, not dying, dying, coming back from the dead, being smashed into peanut butter, baby not. Super Bowl, convoluted million dollar ad campaigns. I don't even have the energy to read an article that explains the whole thing. But then, this week, the FDA approved a drug that treats allergic reactions in kids caused by peanut consumption. Coincidence? Did the FDA implanters plan this? To promote peanuts and prepare just in case kids can't resist the baby nut and eat some peanuts they're allergic to? Is this how Alex Jones lives every day of his life? Kill bad publicity stunts. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Inamine. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.